Welcome back, listeners, to part two of our conversation with Dr. Carly Fellner. In today's conversation, we're diving into the ideas that everyone has the medicine we need to live a good life. And we're also going to take a look at the role that the arts play in wellness for children and adults. We highly recommend listening to part one of this conversation before starting this episode, as some of the ideas discussed today are linked to our earlier conversation with Dr. Fellner. Before we begin, I'd like to situate our conversation in the land. This episode is being recorded in the virtual space, but of course, Dr. Fellner and I are both in Mokinstis, which is the traditional and ancestral territories of the Blackfoot, including Siksiga, Gaina, Bigani, as well as the Sutina Nation and the Iahe Nakoda Nations of Chiniki, Bearspaw, Wesley. And of course, we're also in the ancestral territories of the Métis Nation of Alberta. We express our gratitude to the elders, the knowledge keepers, the land, language, and water protectors from the past, those who are in the present, and those young ones as well who are in the making today. As we think about decolonizing our classrooms, decolonizing curriculum, it's important for us to think about starting at the place of relationships, specifically relationship to the land and to one another. And I know that we use the language of decolonization a lot in our pre-service teacher education programs, but we also want to think about what that actually looks like in practice. And I think a place to start is challenging how colonization has shaped the view that the land is a resource for us. What we need to shift our paradigms around is understanding that the land is not a resource, but rather is a teacher is a relative. And I'm not sure that we can tend to our own well-being in these areas without examining our relationship to the land, individually and collectively, and how we might work to restore and heal through better ways of being in that relationship. And I think in our conversation with Dr. Fellner, we'll be able to tackle that a little bit more. Now, just a reminder for our listeners that podcasts are portable, and we really encourage you to Take this time while you're listening to attend to your wellness, do something for your physical well-being, or maybe, you know, uh, multitask and, and take care of some chores while you're at it. Whatever makes sense for you, please go ahead and do that. And maybe to get us started in our conversation today, Dr. Carly Feller, if you wouldn't mind by starting us off by sharing some of your own go-to habits to tend to your well-being. So for me, everything comes back to the land. The land has inherent balancing mechanisms within it. So it's always self-healing. And as human beings, we are also self-healing and have access to our personal medicine in relation, in this case with the land, at any given moment. So we're deeply interconnected with the land. It comprises our bones, our organs, the water in our body. And so my wellness practices are really about going to the land. Some ways that that shows up for me on a daily basis are by smudging and cleansing with certain plant medicines, ideally in accordance with sun and moon cycles. Or physically, it's about getting out for hikes and walks. In getting out in that way, just noticing and taking in the medicines of the plant and animal relatives around me, of the land the water and the air. Um, And there's all kinds of other ways that shows up for me as well, which I'll speak more about in our conversation today. Awesome. Thanks. What a a beautiful introduction to our conversation and and reminder. 
Well, Dr. Carly Fellner, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We're so thrilled to have you. Your organization is named Muskiki Wellness, and Muskiki is the Cree word for medicine. One of the foundational beliefs of Muskiki Wellness is that every spirit has the medicine they need to live a good life. And you've mentioned that several times in our conversation. And that to me is just incredibly profound information. And I think coming through school in how schooling is deficit oriented and individualistic and you know, some of those underlying worldview values are that like children are incomplete, and they need to go to school to become complete or to learn what they don't know. What you've shared with us is a complete paradigm shift. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about this value, and what it means to reconnect people with that medicine. I'm so glad that you said what you just said, because it's really important to acknowledge the conventional colonial patronization of children, indigenous cultures and and ways of knowing and those that I'm familiar with have just such a different perspective on children. Children are teachers. They bring a lot of medicine and they bring a lot of teachings with them, especially because, you know, one of the teachings that I've received is that young ones are much more connected to spirit. And as I mentioned earlier, to natural law, because they come into this world with that innate understanding of natural law, which, you know, when I talk about that, that relates back to the interconnectivity, to reciprocity, to life affirming values, you know, ways of living that are about promoting life, affirming life, nurturing life, pure love. And I often talk about how the strongest medicine that human beings have to offer this world just from ourselves as humans is love. It's incredible. And that was something that came out in my dissertation research as well. It was the first medicine of the medicine bundle framework that was articulated in my findings that love is the blanket that holds together the whole medicine bundle And it's so powerful. And it is that love, you know, that our children come into this world with that is central in natural law and in our teachings. And so I really just want to acknowledge that, that the conventional patronization of children is just such a product of patriarchy and of colonialism and of oppression of our little ones and oppression of, of people's gifts. So Going back to Indigenous ways, as I mentioned earlier, everybody comes into the world with gifts. In my dissertation research, I spoke with 16 knowledge holders about how mental health services need to change to better serve Indigenous people. And two of those knowledge holders, without me asking about it, it just came up in story, in conversation, like the one we're having today, specifically made reference to people who today are diagnosed with Down syndrome. And one of the teachings that was shared about that is that I remember one of the women specifically saying that people who are now diagnosed with Down syndrome, historically, were actually seen as one of the most gifted members of the community because of their immense capacity for unconditional love and loyalty. And because they often do not struggle with afflictions of the ego, 
that work against natural law, you know, things like greed and deception. And so, again, this is just such a stark contrast from a worldview that for a period of time enforced eugenics, forced sterilization, and these practices that actually happened in Alberta in the mid 20th century. This is recent that people were forced sterilized for quote unquote feeble mindedness, however that was labeled. And the importance of acknowledging as well that what was termed at the time feeble mindedness was often determined with the predecessors to the assessment instruments that are used today. So this is really important. And I I talk about this in my work in other places. And actually in the literature review of my dissertation, I cite some of the literature that you can still access through journal databases that were using intelligence tests and measures to declare findings about the intellectual inferiority of Indigenous people and of mixed-blooded people, etc. So I'll refer folks to that if they're interested in learning a bit more about assessment and eugenics in that way. But, but all of this is just a reminder of the roots of what we see today and how Indigenous knowledge is and how that process of decolonizing is really about coming to honour the knowledges of children, to honour the knowledges of all members of our society, regardless of what their abilities are, is the way that it's talked about in conventional discourse, right? It's acknowledging that each and every one of us have gifts to bring. And not only do we have gifts, but as you've quoted me, that we have medicine, that every spirit has the medicine that they need to live a good life. And so this goes back to our innate capacity for healing ourselves and that our self-healing mechanisms are also healing for others. And always keeping in mind that when I use the word self and when I say every spirit has the medicine they need, that it's always in relation, that this is the indigenous self, the holistic self in relation. And so for me, really facilitating people's reconnection with that medicine. And I say reconnection because, again, it's so natural for children. (laughs) We see children do it, and it just gets colonized out of us a lot of the time, you know, depending on a number of factors. And so it's really about creating that space for, like I alluded to earlier, getting the mind out of the way, because it's the mind that often becomes colonized. And what's beautiful is that, you know, this was actually a teaching that was shared in a Cree parenting class that I'm participating in just recently, is the elder was saying that we decide how we want to develop our mind, and the kinds of beliefs that we want to have. So she was talking about how it's the spirit that keeps the mind alive, And just not to let our brain or our thoughts control us, right? Because we can actually shift the way that we think and we can play a big role in that. And again, that happens in relation. And and I'm living proof (laughs) as someone who, as I described earlier, you know, I look back on my past and there was a good chunk of time where I was really well assimilated into a positivist scientific way of thinking And I think that's part of why I'm so passionate about that work. And again, to not see that as a deficit, but to see the gifts in that, because it is through that experience that I've been able to 
come to where I am today and say like, hey, I get it. I was super colonized (laughs) in my thinking. And having experienced like just this massive opening of experience and perception and sensation to this whole other world that I was closed off to for so long because of what I've been taught. And so, you know, it's drawing on that experience, but then also these teachings that I've received through learning Indigenous focusing oriented therapy, through learning and ceremony, that, you know, when we get that mind out of the way, that colonial voice out of the way, and we just take a moment to be with ourselves in relation because we're always in relation (laughs) but just to to be there and sit with ourselves and allow the medicine to come forward I spoke earlier as an example about anxiety someone's experiencing anxiety and to rather than to have that feeling of anxiety and immediately react of like oh no what's wrong with me what do I need to do I have a mental illness or do I have a mental illness? Do I need to see a doctor? You know, all these things that come up because we're just so ingrained in this deficit way of thinking. So, you know, it's really about moving those thoughts aside and acknowledging, okay, I see my first reaction is, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? But to quiet that, to move that voice to the side, say, thank you for your feedback. I'm just going to set you beside me. And then ask into the anxiety to get curious about it as a conversation, like I mentioned. So what is the medicine that you're bringing forward to me right now? What are you trying to tell me? Because it's bringing something forward that might be from an earlier time in our life, that might be from within our family or other networks of relationships that might be from an ancestor or a descendant to come, you know, wherever it's coming from, just to hear that conversation and then to ask into what is the medicine that's needed here and to let that come. And that's really just a process of decolonizing, of moving aside the colonial voice that says, oh, there's no medicine coming really allowing that to emerge and trusting it, right? So you might suddenly see, you know, I'm going to use a local example. You see the elbow river. What's the medicine this anxiety needs? Elbow river. Your instinct says, go to that river, put your hands in that river and ask to let this go. Ask for help. And rather than colonizing that away and saying that's not real knowledge, You listen to it and you go there, you put your hands in and you say, please help me, help me bring me the medicine that I need. And it comes and that medicine came through you. So each and every person has access to that. And and we can do that through our minds as well. Like we are just incredible beings because if we go back to this understanding of the metaphysical, you know, I can share one of the places I'm very connected with is Lake Superior, Gichigami, out in Minnesota. I spent a lot of time there when I was doing my internship. And even since, anytime I've got to go back. And so I can't just go there at a moment's notice. If I suddenly have something come up, and it's like the medicine is Lake Superior. But I can go there metaphysically, because I have that relationship with that place. And even a place we've never been It's just trusting those relationships, right? You know, suddenly a desert in Egypt comes up 
And someone might say, what the heck? Like, I am not from there. But maybe an ancestor was from there. Or maybe an ancestor visited there and experienced medicine. We don't know. So it's just trusting the unknown and allowing the medicine to come forth in whatever way it comes and just supporting that. And so the ways that that educators can encourage, you know, reconnection with medicine in their classrooms is again, just creating space for it in these ways that I'm talking about. It's really about shifting how we think, shifting how we conceptualize, and then bringing these relationships forward. And honestly, when all else fails, just showing up with love. If that's the only part of this talk that makes sense, (laughs) then that is more than enough you know, is coming and showing up with love. And that love is that acknowledgement that we are all related. It's that acknowledgement that, yes, your students are your family from an Indigenous perspective. If we are in community, you know, you're an auntie, you're an uncle, you're a mentor, you're a relative. We are all relatives and we acknowledge our interrelatedness with each other. And with that comes love, with that comes respect honor and holding one another up and we need to do that with our little ones when our little ones come to us with a stone and they want to tell us something about it we listen to it we nurture it we encourage it we don't say oh that's silly put that away right so it's unlearning those ways that we've been taught within a colonial system and that we've been taught to colonize I feel like I I have had just like so many, I don't want to call them epiphanies because they did not come from within, but but just in hearing you talk about those connections, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, years of therapy. I, I could have just had this conversation <laughs> with Carly. Yeah, what you've shared is just, it's so incredible and so profound. And I think what you shared about listening to anxiety and the problem with pathologizing And our frame of reference is like the anxiety is what's wrong. The experience of the individual, the behavior like you talked about is what's wrong. When when in reality, the way that we're living and relating to each other through these very restrictive, rigid, violent structures of colonization and also the structures of, you know, like racism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, all of those structures are actually what's wrong. And these experiences that we have are just evidence of that, right? And and so as you were talking about finding the medicine within, I was thinking, oh my goodness, like this is so profound to be like, oh, you are not the source of what's wrong when it comes to mental illness or struggles with those pieces. I even think about, we, we talk in the podcast about teacher burnout and what it means to, you know, experience the anxiety or the stress and it's not an internal problem, but it's about the way that we're doing things don't align with with what we need to be doing. And, and that is not about us, but, it, but to find that medicine to reconnect with those values that we have, like you said, that teaching about, you know, the spirit knows it's our minds that get in the way. So all of this to say that was just so profound uh, for me personally, and I, and I hope for folks who are listening, making those connections, it can also support with that unlearning and shifting those paradigms. So I think that you've answered the question, what could a teacher do tomorrow to make change? I think what you shared about leading with love and showing up with love, I don't think it can get any better than that. But maybe before we wrap up our conversation, I want to speak to 
what you shared earlier about your experience with school and art, because that was a space, it's, it sounds like in your young experience, that was really challenging in, in having your kind of creativity taken from you and being told that good art is a particular way because you are an incredibly talented artist. And, and I want to urge our audience members to check out your website, uh, Muskiki Wellness, to see your art. And, you know, you create art with acrylic paint, plant medicines and digital pieces. And it's just like incredible to see your art, but then also learn the story behind it. And because with each of your pieces, you kind of talk about it. And I'm wondering from your perspective as an artist, a psychologist, a, you know, a teacher, community member, how can the creative process of the arts play a role in the work of our well-being, especially as educators in our classroom spaces? Like what does creativity and, and what can the arts unlock for our journeys to well-being in classroom spaces? So to me, the arts are a fantastic avenue to wellness in the classroom. So long as, again, it's done in a way that's nurturing and loving and supportive and not necessarily the experience I had (laughs) growing up that was very colonial and and very right or wrong, right? And, And just to do a little side note on that, that one of the hallmarks of colonized thinking is this idea of right or wrong, that things are either or reconnects back to the beginning to what I said about epistemic pluralism, even where we can actually acknowledge multiple realities as being just as valid as one another. So that that's kind of one of the hallmarks of my artistic experience as a child was this is what art is, this is how it's done right. And so for myself, honestly, reconnecting with art has been such a huge shift for me. It's been such a process of my decolonizing journey also, which is something that's lifelong, by the way. I'm always going to be decolonizing myself. And my art is medicine. With the artwork that I do and that you can see, as you mentioned, it is on the Muskiki Wellness site. I also have Instagram and Facebook pages under Miotesqueo Art that might need to be spelled out. (laughs) but uh, maybe it can be linked with the podcast. All of my art emerges through this medicine process that I've been talking about. The majority of my pieces I have painted during times of difficulty and struggle. And I put the medicine that comes forward onto the canvas. And so, you know, you'll see in my work, a lot of florals that, that resemble Korean Métis beadwork and also go outside of a lot of what we see in traditional beadwork as well, because sometimes I just really sort of go off with different colors and shapes and things like that. But it's that connection to those traditional arts, those ancestral arts, but then also that plant medicine, you know, and in some of my paintings, I will paint specific medicines. And it's like the spirit of that medicine is then a part of that painting. And some of them, as you mentioned, actually have plant medicines on them. Like I physically put them on there and seal them onto the piece of work as well. And that's also bringing medicine to something that needs medicine, right? So these are healing pieces of me. And, you know, and when I get into personal conversations about specific pieces of art, I can go pretty deep into some of those stories of 
you know, some of these pieces have emerged through the most difficult and trying times of my life. And they've brought a lot of healing, just through the energy that comes forward in the medicine that comes out. And, and I believe that for a lot of artistic practice, and the possibilities are endless for in the schools. As someone who was hiding my artistic practice for a long time, it's just funny to look back because I released my first public piece in, oh, when would it have been? I think 2019, like probably late 2019. But even before that happened, I actually had a couple of funded projects that we did down in Gaina in bringing art workshops into the schools. And so, you know, we were working with middle schools and what was important was bringing in Blackfoot artists, right? So we got all these Blackfoot artists, as well as some other Indigenous artists that live in the Treaty 7 area who aren't Blackfoot, but they're, you know, Indigenous folks who have really successful art careers. And so we brought these artists into the school and the kids had a wide variety of options to choose from, from more traditional arts, like historically traditional, like making drums or shakers, to more contemporary approaches to art. So, you know, they were working with one of the artists from Anscapi Picani on doing artwork on skateboards, for example, and t-shirts and things like that, as well as everything in between, you know, ledger art, acrylic art. And so I was doing that work, funny enough, while I was still hiding away as an artist and before anybody knew I was. And Nobody that it was involved in these projects even knew that I did art, but but I got this funding to really nurture and support Indigenous artistic practice in the schools, and it was amazing. And actually, two of my students did theses on it. One of them was out of school psychology, and one was out of counseling psychology, Shannon St. Pierre and Marissa Van Bavel. And so their theses can actually be searched in the UCalgary system. If folks are interested in checking that out and seeing the themes, Marissa's paper looks at educators' impressions on how artistic practice influenced the students. And there's some awesome themes that came out there. And Shannon's work focused on the artists' impressions and the ways that art can be incorporated into schools in this way. And it was just amazing. You know, we did this twice in the spring, two separate years. So we did it two years in a row. And both times it was just phenomenal seeing the wellness that spread throughout the schools. Again, it was just collective. The educators felt it. The administrators felt it. The people that weren't even in the workshops (laughs) felt it. And it's just because it was so nurturing. It was so encouraging. You know, the kids got to do what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. And it just really, again, opened up that space for their medicine to come forward. And artistic and creative expression is a part of our medicine as human beings in whatever ways that comes forth, right? It looks very different for different people. And there are some people who would say, I don't have an artistic bone in my body, right? But maybe the way that they work with logic and mathematics is artistic, right? So it's just really, again, nurturing and encouraging those gifts. I just think that there's so many ways that art can be brought forward to support medicine. And I'm actually pretty excited. I get to do an art workshop with some middle school students later this month where I'll, I'll get to facilitate a process of 
artistic wellness and yeah, I hope that we can see more of that work as we go forward and decolonize the arts because they really shouldn't be colonized. Oh, absolutely. That's well, that's exciting that you get to do that workshop, but I, I really appreciate your connection, like the arts as an avenue to wellness, because I think that remains an area where there are still so many parameters. And I myself would not consider myself an artist by any stretch. But like you mentioned, having the space to dabble in that creative practice on my own, I've I found it to be healing in lots of different ways. So I, I really appreciate you providing insights and, and sharing your experience around that and how you've learned and uh, incorporated that into your practice. I think that's fantastic. Well, I think I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, and I'm sure our listeners could listen to you for hours and hours and hours. And and we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much once more, Dr. Carly Fellner, for sharing your expertise with the podcast listeners. And although we'd like to keep you around for much longer, we know that you have to get back to life apart from this virtual space. So thank you. Really appreciate it. And uh, I, I think in the show notes, we've shared some more links for Dr. Carly Fellner. So you can access some of those resources and check out the art and learn about those programs that are also available to you through the Workland School of Education as well. Thank you listeners for joining us for part two of our conversation with Dr. Carly Fellner as part of the series Conversations on School Health, a series collaboration between Everactive Schools and the Workland School of Education. Special thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or you can visit our website at everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the pod class is dismissed. Dismissed.